Welcome to this brand new episode of the Great Mind series. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry Zanstra. This episode of the Great Mind series podcast is brought to you by Innoversity. Innoversity, the learning experts. Welcome to this edition of the Great Mind series podcast brought to you by Innoversity. We're excited today to, uh, to have Jerry Kaminsky with us. Um, Jerry, I'm, I'm just going to read some stuff from your bio because it's wonderful. Um, Jerry holds a, a Bachelor's of Science in Occupational Education and Computer Science from Southern Illinois University in Carbondale and also a Master's degree, uh, a Master of Education in Instructional Technology. Now, I'm not going to say the years you graduated, but I have them here. Um, and the good news is you and I are about uh, the same vintage, so I, uh, I like to see that. Um, Jerry has a really diverse and interesting career. Um, began in the U.S. Naval, uh, Navy and has worked in NATO. <clears throat> He's done instructional design for EDS. He's worked in Kmart. He's worked for um, state uh, and county government. He has worked in community colleges. He's done learning for Payless Shoes. He's done learning for uh, and training and development for American Axle, which those of you who are uh, not part of automotive <laughs> won't know this, but American Axle is uh, is a Detroit-based business that's just enormous, two two and a half billion a year in in sales. And uh, Jerry's current job is he's the manager of instructional design and vendor management and project management at Consumers Energy. So Consumers Energy is a public utility that provides natural gas and electricity to over 6 million residents of the state of Michigan. Um, for those of you who are Michiganders, uh, Consumers Energy is mostly Lower Peninsula. How, how many employees do you guys have, Jerry? Uh, just around 8,000 full-time employees and about 8,000 seasonal contractors. So Wow. It, it's, a, it's a unique business model. That is, and an enormous uh, uh, responsibility for training and learning, and, and especially in this where, you know, danger is a significant issue, and obviously service is a, is a very important issue. The, the thing I like about this is uh, knowing that you and I are, uh, shall we say, gentlemen in our mid-50s, um, you've been around. You've been around a long time, and you've, you've been in learning and training really since you were in the Navy. Um, I, I my first question to you is what's changed? What's different? What would have been unimaginable to you uh, back thirty years ago when you started? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, and the obvious answer to that is the technologies have changed. The process and the learning process and what we do with behavioral change for people really hasn't changed. It's uh, it's the technologies we use and the speed at which change occurs. And we still follow the ADI process for our design work here, which was, you know, for those around, that came out of the military models for the Poseidon missile program in right. late 40s, early 50s. Right. You know, and the systems world still uses that. So process-wise, we're still following it. What's, what's changed is, you know, you have agile, you have iterative design. So how we do it is really accelerated, and the, the time is really shortened. Yeah. Those are the big pieces. How have you guys made uh, use of technology? I mean, it, you, you think even five years ago or, or 10 years ago, 
um, just how completely different this landscape was. And, and like you say, the the principles have been there. I know out of the 40s and 50s of military, but you know they're leaning on stuff that they read in Aristotle. Um, mm-hmm. But the 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 technology, uh, how have you seen that changed? It, has it all been good? Is some of it been overused? And that's a lot of questions in one. I mean, I always joked. I got out of the, uh, the military in the mid '80s, and I had worked in anti-submarine warfare back then, which we always had the latest technology during the height of the Cold War. And my first job out of the Navy was doing training and development for EDS, you know, which is the large, com- you know, telecommunications and sure. technology company. The technology took about five years, almost seven years, to catch up to what I was already used to. <laughs> You know, just because, you know, people always joke about the $500 toilet seats. Well, it's because the military had those, you know, top-notch tools. Right. Uh, where I've really seen, you know, it's it's uh, the micronization of the, the technology into the smaller devices, using phones, using different pieces. It's, it, you know, what most designers that I work with, you know, the technology is just one more tool. I mean, we get enamored with trying to do things with virtual reality, artificial intelligence, but is it really cost effective? Does it really change behavior? So it's right. it's that arsenal. What's the right tool for the right solution? Uh, obviously, if I can use technology, we like to because it does reduce cost. You know, our biggest change here is we're really pushing a lot more on the virtual classrooms, really using the technology to deliver instructor-led at a distance. Right. And that technology is 20 years old too, but now it's cost effective. It's desktop available. You know, it's like these podcasts. I mean, you can do them all over the world and right. not never sit face to face with the person. Right. Yeah, it, it seems like when when we got started six or seven years ago, and it was just uh, my partner Mark and I, um, everything. It it seems like no matter what the question was in learning and training, technology was the solution. And it seems like the pendulum's kind of swinging back to the middle. <clears throat> to say, yeah, there's, there's, there's a, there's certainly a place, obviously, for technology, but there's a, there's a place for classroom, and there's a, a place for, you know, instructor-led um, uh, technical solutions. And so, it, it seems like now with most of our clients, we're we're spending a lot more time thinking through initially. Wait, what's the right solution here? Not just what's technically possible, but for retention and for actually moving the needle um, on behavior. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think there's there's a more balanced approach we're seeing with, with our clients, both in the U.S. and in the EU. You hit a good point. I, I've been a proponent for years that my role should be the elimination of training. So I shouldn't have to develop training if I don't need to. So things like intuitive system design, electronic performance support tools, the, the example I always share with people is that you get a letter from your bank to come and learn how to use your ATM card. <laughs> you know, could you imagine somebody said, I want to train all 10,000 of a bank's users right. coming Saturday morning to figure out that I want to make a deposit or a withdrawal or a balance inquiry. Right. So, you know, as a performance improvement specialist, we look to say, can we, you know, change the behavior without having to put a person in a classroom? Or if we've got to train them, can we do it, you know, through electronic methods or other tools? You know, job aids are still prevalent. OJT is still prevalent for a lot of things we do. Okay. 
Talk, talk to us about some of the projects that you work on. What, what are some, I mean, onboarding, I'm, I'm imagining some of that, but you, you've got to have enormous uh, technical challenges, safety challenges. You've got environmental issues to deal with. Um, what, are, what are some of the top issues? So, I mean, if you look at, I've been consumers about two and a half, almost three years now, and we, you know, I manage 10 instructional designers, and our role is to develop the training across the organization. So that means we're doing leadership and professional development. In a lot of cases, that we can source outside. We don't have to develop it. You know, a lot of those courses have been standard for years. But as you point out, we get into the technical and the, the health, safety, and environmental arena. It's all over the board. Just in the technical side, I think we have probably close to 50 delivery people and probably half my staff is dedicated to developing training there because as a utility, we're developing training for gas, electric, and generation, which is right. the power plants. Yep. And when you get into the generation side, now you're looking at coal plants, gas plants, hydro plants, solar, you know, wind, you know, solar, wind farms. Right. And so it's, it's, there's no, um, shortage of diversity in what we develop. And you are, you are, you were, Consumers Was for a while uh, had a nuclear plant, but no longer does. Right. No longer nuclear, yes. Okay. So that, that's gonna, it's got to save some complication, but. Yeah. I, I always tell people if we were nuclear, I think we would double our size for the L&D function just because of the regulatory right. stuff. Right. And then we, we just got back into transmission last year too. So we're expanding out that. So we're part of the power grid now. So. And that's actually one of the projects we're working with university on. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, man, we're thrilled. We we certainly appreciate the opportunity to work with you guys. Um, for let's let's focus on onboarding. Mm-hmm. So I'm a high school grad or college. What, what what's the typical person look like that's that's coming into consumers? Well, that that's a, that's a challenging question because uh, my group is responsible for the onboarding piece. But it's broken down across, you know, is it salaried folks or is it hourly, you know, in the electric right. or the gas line workers? Uh, a lot of that goes through the technical skills. So they go through, uh, in most cases, either an apprenticeship program or a basic gas lines or electric lines worker, which could be 10 or 12 or 14 weeks. Do you provide that or do you send them somewhere else? Well, it's a combination. A lot of what we provide, uh, some of what we do with the like the apprenticeship programs. We work with the unions in some cases, so okay. some of it's that. But like gas line workers, we provide electric lines workers. You know, we have a, a training center in Marshall, Michigan, for the electric. Okay. We do gas all over the state. I mean, we even have an indoor pole climbing class. You know, where we've got you know right. electric line poles inside a, a covered building and the instructors stand on a catwalk 60 feet up and you know watch the students climb up the pole right and do wire connections you know 60 feet up in the air yeah safety is obviously there uh, oh, safety is huge for yeah, us. utmost importance you know i, I should point out you know it's safety is so huge that it's one of our corporate metrics that everybody monitors and we you know our obvious goal is zero incidents every year uh you know last year we came off with only 73 recordables for the whole year, which was our lowest ever in 130 years of the company with no fatalities. So we're very happy about the safety training is meeting its mark. Yeah, yeah. And I would imagine, you know, working in the combination of gas and electric that that small mistakes are instantly life-threatening. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so... I mean, we- our, our standard safety line to people, and we, we believe this is, you know, everybody goes home safe every day. Yeah. 
Right. Right. And that, and that really, you know, we do a lot of work with manufacturers. So there's a lot of, a lot of people that, a lot of ways to, to, to smash, burn, or, you know, electrocute yourself. Um, so so back to your onboarding question. Uh, onboarding is kind of a unique instance here because we've gone through some metamorphosis the last year and a half. Uh, we're bringing in success factors as our learning management and talent suite. So our talent acquisition group is taking on what they're calling onboarding up to day one. So from the time they touch people at a recruiting event or an ad through the interview process and then the backgrounds and the drug screens, the, we consider that onboarding up to day one, and that's owned by talent acquisition. Okay. After day one, it goes into what is currently called learning and development. It's the talent development function. And we have a series of things we're working on. We're actually in the middle of revising all those. I actually have a meeting today on this. Uh, so we have what we call the new, ex- new employee experience, which is from day one through day 365, it's comprised of a series of checklists and activities between the new hire, their hiring manager, and other divisions. So there's a lot of activities they'll do as part of that, you know, new experience, new employee experience. Another part of that is they will attend new hire orientation sometime within the first 60 days, which we deliver. And we're actually revamping that whole program uh, to incorporate the use of our new Connections Learning Lab in Grand Rapids that we own. Okay. Um, you know, so that's uh, right now. It's a one day. We're gonna probably move it to the two day. And one of the things I, I like to share with people is our CEO is adamant that she goes to every new hire and meets every new employee, which is unheard wow. of in most industries. Yeah. Well, just think about that for a minute. You've got eight thousand employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she meets every one of them at new hire. Wow. And then uh, the last component of the experience is uh, we're, we're we're morphing this so that everybody can attend. We have a, a program called Consumers Energy Utility Institute, which is a three-day deep dive of what we do. You know, more depth of around gas, electric, how rates and regulations work, how we deal with the, the grid, uh, you know, all the interfaces with the, the Public Services Commission. So uh, I always liken it to coming from automotive. The, our uh, utility institute, or we refer to it as CUI, is like most companies' product awareness. You know, you come into a company that makes axles or transmissions, and you work in finance or HR, you don't even know what the parts are in those components. So right. our, our utility institute is really that three-day deep dive to bring somebody that's never worked in a utility up to speed about how different this business is. You know, it's regulated. It's very much controlled both state and federally. So it's, you know, even so much as to, you know, even though we're publicly traded on Wall Street, some of those parameters on the finances are dictated by government regulations. Right. Why, why is it important that a person that works for you understands not just their job, but really you're broadening their horizons so, so that they understand the system that they're part of? Why spend the time and the money to do that? Well, that's a very good question. And we've got a, the answer to that is, you know, I walk out of here tomorrow with my consumer's energy shirt on. I stop at Myers or some store, or I pull off the side of the road because I see a down wire. We're an ambassador for the company. Yeah. So we want every one of our employees to understand our business model and how we do things. You know, as those of us in Michigan know, two weeks ago, we had the, you know, the worst storms in our history, right. and there was almost a million people without power. So our whole workforce gets mobilized to go out and do things like wire down guarding. So that means 
every employee might be standing out on the street with a hard hat and a yellow vest protecting the public. And the worst thing you want to do is have somebody come and say, well, why are you blocking my street or why is my right. power out or when is it coming back? So we're very adamant that everybody becomes an ambassador to our, our customers. You know, we really want to sure. make sure we take care of, you know, it's not about a service. We're providing, you know, gas and electric to people. That means your house is warm. All those fun devices you now own can turn on. Your lights come on. Right. It's more than you know. It's no longer a um, nice to have. It's you know you must oh, have. Yeah. Right. Right. These are essentials for modern living. It, yeah. it, there's there's an interesting parallel I hadn't thought about. There. We do a lot of work with retail uh-huh. companies, and you know the, the trick with retail is that. The entire company is represented by the person standing behind the counter, whether it's uh, a big box store or, um, you know, a, a fast food, a restaurant chain. You know, McDonald's is not all, all of McDonald's is represented by the person I'm talking to, by one person. And that's a profound thing to think about. And I hadn't really thought about that from your perspective, but that, you know, I'm going to how how I think of consumers is going to be determined by the person I talk to on the phone or the person who shows up to, you know, uh, fix a utility problem or the person that comes when there is an emergency. And that is going to determine the public's perception of who you are and what your values are and uh, what you're trying to accomplish. That I didn't consider that. Well, you, you hit it. You think of the number of people that are out talking to our, our consumers you got meter readers, you got tree trimmers, you got installers. You know, we're, we're putting in power service to new neighborhoods, new businesses. So there's somebody out there talking to the public all the time. Like I said, we just built a new leadership center in Grand Rapids. And on the first floor of it is a, a, a part of the floor is called Connections. It's a hands-on learning lab to learn about our business. Mm-hmm. And it's set up in such a way that it, in the center of the room is basically a home and a business. And then it works backwards out to the power plants or the gas fields. Oh, cool. And it's, it's set up in various pods as if you were talking over the fence to your neighbor. So you could, you know, nice. quiz the person on one side of the, the, the display about something and they could pull up the answers. I mean, you think about it, people always complain sometimes about how expensive their utilities are. But if you consider that, you know, the what you pay for gas and electric on a daily basis is probably less than your Starbucks you buy in the morning on the way in. Yeah. No, I think about that often. It's it's well, and especially if you're without it, you know, in those storms, <laughs> we had it. Yeah. But if you think, what would I pay for it right now? I would pay a lot for it right now, because you you get so accustomed to it. There there was something you you said a minute ago, and I, I want to come back to it. Um, and it. Not to dive into the psychology of your CEO too much, but um, that's a major time commitment for her to meet every single new hire. There are a lot of CEOs who that would not even enter their minds. Why do you think she does that? Because she's committed to our people and the success our people bring to this company. And he said, we're a 130-year-old company. You know, we are all about hometown service. You know, we like I said, we're there to provide a service to the residents of Michigan that, you know, quite frankly, if it wasn't here, you know, where would it come from? Right. You know, it's you know, it's all about reliability. It's about that connection between the people and what we do for them. Yeah. You know, and it's also about educating them too. I mean, Michigan's in one of those quandary states right now where 
everybody's screaming for sustainable energy. Well, you know, if you look at Michigan, wind and solar is somewhat viable, but it's not entirely sustain. You know, it's not a, yeah. a solution. So for our listeners around the world, um, where we live is close to Lake Michigan. We live on the east side of Lake Michigan, which means the wind comes from the west. It goes over Lake Michigan. It picks up lots of moisture. And we're under clouds most of the time. <laughs> so solar is, uh, we are not Arizona. We are not a uh, desert environment. So it, uh, we, we, don't, we, don't have a, we, we don't have anywhere near as much sunlight as we even like. Well, and then you add the fact, too, where the concentrations of the mass populations are. You know, Grand Rapids area where you're located, Detroit where I live, you know, you start getting into the areas that have some availability for solar or for wind, they're in parts of the state where nobody lives. Right. So transporting, you know, electricity from point A to point B becomes a challenge. Yep. Um, Jerry, so I I start. I, one of the things we've been we've been talking a lot about uh, with our podcast guest is, is kind of career pathing mm-hmm. and thinking through. Okay, from day one, there's a whole bunch of people that are going to start and in, in you know in a, in a month and a year or whatever. Um, how much thinking and how much intentionality is there at consumers for career pathing a person into a leadership position? Are you are you a company that primarily tries to promote from within, or are you bringing in higher level talent from the outside? How do you do that, and how intentional are you? Let me think of that. I mean, we we tend to promote from within, although like any company, you want to bring in fresh blood from the outside too for new ideas. So it's a combination. But I think the bigger piece is bringing people from within. Part of my role coming in was to develop out our leadership uh, training strategies. And we had done some work with CEB to look at their models around the different leadership roles. So first time or emerging leaders, leaders of others or leaders of leaders mm-hmm. and functional leaders. So we've actually partnered with Harvard and a couple other vendors and we actually have a very detailed leadership pipeline we train people for all the way up to the officer level. And uh, part of what prompted that was, you know, we're a 130 year old company and during the research phase, three and a half, four years ago before I got here, there was a real quick realization that about 50% or more of the leadership team was nearing retirement age. Right. You know, so we were looking at, you know, literally a 50% void of all levels. And, you know, we're talking, mm. you know, at the emerging leader level, 1,400 people. At the leader of leaders level, 300 people. At the senior leadership, 100 leaders. So, yeah. you know, imagine losing... 50% of your leadership that have the collective history of a 130-year-old company. Yeah, the institutional knowledge that leaves. Yeah. Well, I, that, not institutional, but there's a huge technical drain sure. there, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we have that in working with manufacturers, too, who say, yep. I, I look out at my shop floor, you know, and I'm, I'm seeing that the average age on the shop floor is 54. This yes. is not good. No. You know. So be, we we you purposely know. build out... You know, the leadership training pipelines for that program, we've got, you know, two programs currently up and running for the emerging leaders and the leaders of leaders. We're working on the functional leaders. We've got a leadership academy for officers. We've got a key talent program, which is our high potential. So it's, you know, at the forefront of all the leadership skill stuff we develop internally. But like I said, you know, with a new CEO coming in back in July, 
you know, there's been some senior leadership changes, you know, just from a philosophical viewpoint. Sure. And then, you know, everywhere I've ever worked, you know, it's not unusual to have, I don't know, 15% of your senior leadership coming from the outside to bring in fresh or new blood. I mean, it's the same with the board of directors, people, sure. you know, you yeah. don't want to, you don't want to just keep regurgitating the old thought process, especially when you're, you know, you have the culture of the you know, duration of our culture. Yeah. Yeah. It, so one of the challenges I, I, I spoke to someone from a company recently and he said, you know, we've, we've put in place all of this leadership development material. Um, we have a path and the path is fairly clear. He said the, the place where we fail is the people who are supposed to be on that path don't know where they are. So in other words, they leave or they take other jobs because they don't understand that opportunities are there if they do the right training and they do the right, in other words, you know, what's the next step and, and, how high up this ladder can I go? How do you guys communicate to to the eight thousand employees where they are and where their next opportunity might be? Well, that's we're that's part of the project work that's going on right now with our new learning management talent suite, is building out career paths and you know giving people maps to see where they're going. We just finished up recently developing a new succession planning system, and they're going to be starting that process very shortly. Where People that have been identified as successor, they're going to be talked to about what roles they're, you know, they're targeted for and what development plans they need to get to those roles. So, yeah, uh, you know, and that's a lot of companies are in that same boat. You know, it's people come in, they're they're told they have a career path, but when they sit down, they look at it, it's like, well, that doesn't really want, you know, what I want. Or right. you get pigeonholed into a technical career path as opposed to a leadership career path. Right. So we're actually working a lot of those. We're, we're trying to base it off competency management now. But I think uh, the, the first out of the gate is going to be this new su- succession planning process we're following. It's really going to take those people that are, uh, you know, in the key positions with those people talking to the two or three incumbents that are targeted to fill those positions. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we you know, we work with retailers and sometimes in retailers you have turnover rates that are just... Mm-hmm buckle your knee i mean you you've done some work in retail so you, you oh, know yeah. that where the, you know where you get a north of 50 percent turnover rate in a year oh well, uh, my days that came our the turnover rate for cashiers at one of our stores was 400 percent. so oh <laughs> if, 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 just if check I, yourself out at that point just yeah just just check yourself well, out if, and the, I did the research on that, and it turned out the reason that the turnover rate was so high, and this was back in the days when uh, Kmart still owned Builder Square. Builder oh, yeah. Square was hiring cashiers that had experience at 50 cents an hour more. So they would come and work at Kmart for 60 days, get oh, the experience, okay. and go hiring down the street to make 50 cents an hour more. People are smarter than we think, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. I, I pointed that out to the business. I'm like, okay, raise your salary rate. And make it so that you can't cross hire between you know your subsidiaries. Right. We, right. we resolved it, but it was like when they started four hundred percent for one job rate. It was like <sighs> that's unbelievable. That's well, un- you know that's what people are. You know, a lot of the my team and what I've done for years. It's not only learning. We look at the entire organizational development structure, workforce planning, performance improvement. So it's not just about developing training it's analyzing what's going on in the business and what you know we use gilbert's performance metric for yeah. the six boxes of where people's performance is coming from 
So you made you made the transition from manufacturing, and you were in manufacturing for a long time. You were yes. you were at uh, American Axle for what, almost 13, sixteen years. Sixteen years. Okay. Yeah. Um, what was that transition like for you to to go? I mean, manufacturing. Yes, there are dangers, and and I'm, and I'm sure there are parallels. And you have a, a workforce that needs to be highly mechanically trained. What are some of the differences that you saw between where you were and where you are now? Yeah, quite honestly, there's not a whole lot. You know, I've, like like you pointed out, I've been in instructional design and training for 30 plus years, and I've always went to work for organizations and managers that understand the process. It's not about the content. So, sure, I had to learn new content for utilities, but. You know, a lot of the same things apply from the leadership side. Yeah. The technical sides are totally different. Sure. You know, like right now, we're in the midst of implementing lean here. You know, I, I did lean for 16, 17 years, right. actually going back longer. You know, I did work when I was doing consulting work with GM back 20 years ago with Crosby and Deming. So yeah. lean's nothing new. It's understanding how do you implement lean mindset into a service organization or an organization that's not manufacturing. So. Right. Yeah, that's and, a challenge. And a lot of places have struggled to do that because it, oh. it lean at the end of the day really is a philosophy. It's a mindset. It's not just a series of tools and techniques. And right. most people try to implement it via tools and techniques rather than really focusing on the core philosophy of it. Um, after you've developed a training program, how do you know it worked? How do you what, what metrics do you guys use to say, I feel really good about that? That that seemed to do what we wanted it to do. So uh, you hit on one of our sweet spots with our team. I've got members of my team that are certified by Donald Kirkpatrick in evaluation standards. Okay. And, and we do, every course we deliver, we obviously do a level one or a smile sheet. And that's all done electronically. So we're, we're knowing people are doing it. And we use the net promoter score approach. So the one question that we judge all our training on at level one is, would you recommend this training to others? Right. And if you know anything about net promoters, sure. the uh, yeah, we use it. Okay, benchmark is fifty to seventy. We are consistently running at well above seventy and close to ninety in a lot of our courses. So we know the people value it. Now, with that said, that's just you know it's self-assessment. Right. Uh, we are slowly on our way to doing pre and post testing in all our courses. Uh, we do it for most of our e-learning. We're starting to get into some of the Instructor-like courses, the, the the tougher nut to crack on there is the technical skills where it's demonstration-based, but we're right. doing pre and post on a lot of those to show, you know, we I just got done doing a study last year with uh, some fleet courses, and we were showing a 30 to 40% increase in skills at the end of the class. So yeah. at least we know they're, they're learning what we do. We are also doing considerable amounts of level threes and level four, so we're doing Post training, six months later, we're measuring. You know, are they using the skills? How are they being applied? Uh, a lot of our courses tie right to the business metrics. Uh, one of the things we started doing last year, and it's saving us anywhere upwards of a million dollars every year, is we're doing test outs, so exemptions and waivers. Right. So right. instead of putting people through training that they don't need, we're testing them. And if they possess the skills and behaviors we want, we don't make them go through training. And that's <laughs> resulting in, like I said, close to a million dollars a year in cost savings to the business by not having people trained. Well, and, and it also, you know what, I, you've sat in them, I've sat in them where you think, I'm going to spend several hours doing this and I already know how to do this. 
And so my frustration is high. My attitude about what I'm doing is not good. And I'm probably not going to be excited about the next training opportunity that I have. You you bring up a good point because we had to fight with that. When we started using NPS, being a regulated industry in a dangerous environment, there's a lot of safety classes that are required. And Mm -hmm. it's exactly that. I, I have to take the same class every year because OSHA requires it. What we've started doing is trying to make those classes, you know, more user-friendly, entertaining, if you want to call it that. Because we could, I could actually show you a curve that it was almost a bell curve where my required safety classes were down in the 20s and 30s on NPS, and my leadership classes and my fun ones that people wanted to do were up in the 70s and 80s. And we, when actually two years ago when I started here, we had different metrics for some of that. Now it's like all our classes have to be 70 or above. So that means it puts a lot more pressure and skill on our facilitators doing the required classes to make them engaging for the users and useful and not feel like, okay, it's that time of the year again, I'll sit through another, you know, PPE class. <laughs> we, we, yeah, all of our manufacturers, same, same thing, right? You know, you've got bloodborne pathogens, you've got lockout, tagout, you've got these courses and you know we we started looking at other what other people were doing and you know some of them were covering people in fake blood that looked like ketchup and you go Mm -hmm. yeah i I don't think we're gonna do that so we we ended up coming up with uh i asked our artist to create a uh like a 1940s bug bugs bunny-ish kind of (laughs) cartoon rhino named i don't know why we named him carl but we named him carl but Carl, you could burn, smash, you know, you, like he could smash his hand and reinflate it by blowing into his thumb and all that kind of stuff. But it, it it's funny, it people actually started to look forward to the classes to see what was going to happen to Carl this time. But well, that, we do the same thing here, too. You know, it's that whole thematic approach to training, you know, using games and gamification and right. board games. One of my favorite ones was a couple of years ago when I first started here, one of my designers was working on a pigging course. So for those that don't, in the gas industry, when they test a gas line, they put what they call a pig into the gas line. It's basically, you know, a remote camera and, uh, like, it's Roto-Rooter or, you know, okay. those kind of devices. So and no real done. pigs are injured in the, uh, no, in the pigging no. of the <laughs> The process is called pigging, you know, okay. like, you know, being new to the utility, like, excuse me? Right. Pigging? Right. So we were looking at it, we were trying to make a way to, you know, enlighten that class. So we, we put some gamification into it. And then we actually created, a, a, like you said, a, a, culture, a counterculture of a pig. You know, so they have their own logo now for the pigging course. Right, right. You know, and people, you know, it, it, you know, it's a pretty technical, I won't say mundane, but it's like, you know, it's a required class. And we put some fun into it. Yeah, at least you can make it entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the funny part about it is you talk about evaluation and, uh, you know, value to the business. Uh, the business loved it. People loved it. The, you know, the incidents and everything around pigging, you know, increased. And we probably got six months of PR out of just that one course, which <laughs> really didn't require, you know, right. no extra money per se. No. But it was, you know, we, we rode the wave of, you know, having a business partner who loved that we made a course that they had to take. Right. Entertaining. Right. Well, and that changes your attitude toward everything else. Right. It tells everybody that, you know, works, everybody in your team, we care about you and we're, we're trying to do the best, you know, we can for you to, to because your time's important too. 
Well, and the one thing I instill in my team on it too is we, you know, we I jokingly use the term we throw it over the wall. When we develop a course or a program, we give all the accolades to the business that owns that content. Yeah. We take no we take no credit for it. So, if the safety numbers go out, the safety organization gets it. If we get better quality on electric lines, yeah. you know, the operations group gets it. So, we we work behind the scenes to make the the work we do. It's for the business and the business impact. Right, right. Which is, you know, that's kind of a, not everybody does that in the learning field. No, that's for sure. That's for, well, and, and some of them are, you know, sort of sub-businesses within, within the company and, mm-hmm. and they're trying to they're grow their own, their own business inside of it. Right. Um, <laughs> what's some of the best training you've ever seen? Oh, that's a, that's a loaded question. <laughs> All the ones I've developed? Yeah, okay. Other than the yeah. ones you've developed, yeah. The other ones, um, ooh, God, let's see. I mean, where, 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 I, I've seen some stuff where I, I thought, man, that's like gold standard. That just, the colors, yeah. the the way it moves, the, the voices are right. The Just every, comp- it, it it's right on the verge of entertainment. Because yeah. I would choose to do it again, right? Um, I go back. I mean, this goes way back in my career. I mean, I have an award-winning program we developed when I was at Kmart for pharmacy systems. You know, it was right when the pharmacy started getting, you know, the drug checking, mm-hmm. and we built a full comprehensive e-learning, template-driven keyboards and workbook for the pharmacist to learn how to use the system for drug interactions and working with. Um, the insurance companies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's something we had a, a team develop. I mean, some of the stuff we're using with Harvard and Blessing White is pretty, you know, cutting edge in terms of how we do it. Um, internally, like I said, you know, one of the best ones I've, I've seen, although I haven't seen the whole course, is, you know, is that pole climbing course we have where they're actually climbing poles and yeah. we do we do assessments beforehand to make sure they're physically able. Then they do the class and they do the assessment. And it's all, you know, an initial pass is done inside in a sheltered how you know building and then they move outside to the real environment um, right this is probably uh, bringing you back to your navy days yeah our navy we did a lot of navy. <laughs> probably the, one of the, the probably one of the most fun programs I ever did is when we were implementing lean at american axel and we had developed the whole program uh, our lean group did it, but we helped administer it was harry's house of hydraulics <laughs> and it was basically teaching the entire lean principles from standardized work and uh, process mapping and all that yep using Legos to, to develop oh. understanding. And what it was, was it started out with, you had this big gallon Ziploc bag of assorted parts and the instructor held up a car, you know, a Lego car. It's okay. I want you to make as many as you can in 10 minutes. Right. And nobody could do anything because all they had was a bag of parts. And then you walk them through how standardized work to the manufacturing side. And you finally got down to like the third iteration of the, the exercise where they had standardized work, they had templates, they had components, and you know they'd make ten or fifteen of these cars in three minutes right. once you showed them how standardized work did. Right. So that was a good one. Another fun one we did when I was in American Axles, we did a video-based training for one of our assembly lines for the uh, at the time it was the old uh, Hummer H2 vehicles. Mm-hmm. We had an assembly line built. It was really supposed to go into Mexico. They got put into Detroit, and then they were transferring it to China. So we had to do a, a video learning program because all the placards on the assembly line were in Spanish and we were shipping it to China and it had to be right. in Mandarin. Right. 
So we, instead of trying to recreate it and spend lots of money on that, we did a, I don't know, it was like a 20 minute video learning piece. It had it translated that the, the Chinese workers could watch and still do the functions. Yeah, we, we work with several companies where they have one process or one machine that they've built. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's built in the United States, then it's shipped to Hungary or to China yep. or to Mexico. And you've got to come up with a creative way to train everybody to the same level in Mandarin, Hungarian, and Spanish. Yes. And, uh, yeah, that's, those are yeah. those are challenging projects. That's Going back to one of your earlier questions and one of the ones I just seen recently that we're, we've been toying with, but it's, it's relatively expensive, is DTE, which is the other utility company here in Michigan, right. has been toying around with virtual reality for their wire down, wire down training. So you put on a virtual reality hood and you walk into somebody's yard and you can actually see the wires down, how, you know, as you move your head and your hands, you, your hands reach up. It's all done in virtual reality. Wow. to show you what the situation looks like. Well, that was going to be my next question. Ten years from now, where where are we going to be? What's this going to look like? You know, I, I think ten years from now, we're still going to be at 50% instructor-led. You know, there, there's still going to be a need for human interaction and a lot of that. I think the technology is going to go more into the uh, assisted system pieces. We're doing, we're starting to do more with mobile uh, I was just out in San Francisco two weeks ago for a, a workshop, and the whole thing was around learning modalities and the modern learner. And while all of us agree that the modern learner is changing, uh, the challenge for learning professionals is trying to figure out how do we still get the skills you know, taught that were required to run the business. And what we were talking about is things like, you know, how many people nowadays can go to YouTube and figure out how to fix their washer, their dryer, their dishwasher, their car? You know, they're getting small chunk learning video based. Right. So I think we're going to see a challenge to move to video and small chunks. And the learner is going to be the person selecting what they need. Right. So, you know, that, so that to me, that, it's almost that more means- of a Wikipedia thing where the information is available and visually available. Exactly. And you can you, that, you pull though, it rather than push it. Yeah. But the challenge that we see with that, though, is, you know, if you're in a regulated industry where safety right. is, you know, a, a key component, there's still going to be a push. But yeah. pull is definitely going to be a big shift. Yeah. You know, and I was telling somebody that because we were using Wikipedia and people didn't realize, you know, the life cycle on inaccurate information on Wikipedia is? No. Seven seconds. So if I go out to Wikipedia wow. and I put a, a fact out there that I believe is true, Within seven seconds, the audience will have either you know validated it or corrected it. Wow, you know, and that's you know that's peer based. That's not any subject matter expertise. No, so, that's that's impressive. You know, and and I think they 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 tout their accuracy is somewhere up for like ninety five percent. So, you know, you hear all this stuff about fake news and alternative news. Wikipedia is actually pretty much on the money. Well, for multiple years, I I uh, taught at the graduate level um, mm-hmm. economics, and uh, yeah, when they'd cite Wikipedia, that was not good. That was not. Maybe I should change my stance. Uh, well, I still tell people, I said, you know, it's trust but trust but verify. Yeah, there we go. There we go. There you know, go. I mean, it's 
you know, just because it's on YouTube doesn't mean it's right. Right. Yeah, and and, and with the required stuff too, you know, with the mandatory right. training the requir- or or the core. It, not not even if it's regulation, but if it's like to do your job, you need to know this. To to yeah. to succeed, you need to know this. You can't skip past this. You have to know it because it's a core part of what we do. Now, here's where I see a big challenge or a change coming in. A lot of us have been talking. I think we take the concept of Wikipedia and YouTube and you bring it in-house. So it looks like it's on demand, but it's controlled on demand. Right. And we're, we're going down the path very soon to start using social learning more with our learning management system using right. Jam, which is an SAP product. And <clears throat> you know, we're going to develop these videos. Uh, I got one of my team, We I jokingly call them secret squirrel projects. You know, projects that are not on the books, they're mm-hmm. not necessarily things we have to do, but they're fun for us to do that help the business. And we're looking at creating some 30 to 90 second video learning clips that we can hand over our, to our communications department to put on our Facebook page right. for our consumers. Yeah. You know, fun stuff. Right. We, we do that with the, when we started doing animation, we don't do a lot of video. Um, usually we outsource that, but we, we really started the animation stuff because we wanted to give scenarios inside of learning modules so that we could give a situation and then a person could have to make choices about what they do. But it's interesting that's shifting more and more of those, you know, 90 to 120 second animations are standalone learning modules. They're a quick hit. Um, They're not technical usually, no, but they're story based. And, um, yeah, and uh, really that's what they are. I mean, an animation is nothing other than a moving story. Well, we're doing the same thing. We're using avatars and animations yep. more. Yep. I had a vendor I used in my last job, American Axel, that did our entire ethics and compliance training. And it was all still based, but it was animated. And it was all storyline. So right. it's like the old, uh, for those of us old enough to remember, you know, back in the, what, the 30s and 40s, they had the serials at the beginnings sure. of the movies. Yep. Uh, their entire collection of all their ethics content was based around storylines from a fictitious company. And, you know, we'd roll out a new course every 30 days or every 60 days. Right. It was like the ongoing saga of, you know, Bob, screw the SEC, you know. <laughs> and it was, you know, what, what's, this, what's this clown going to do wrong this time? Right. And it was always, you know, it was all story-based. But what they did was it was audio with, you know, stills, functioning like in an animation sure. so yep. you know it, it was much much more effective and much more impactful than full video yeah I, I see video being part of it but like you said it's the cost and the complexity to do video not to mention too your it departments nowadays do not want to keep you know no. we're talking giga and terabytes of right. data out there right well and for us too you know we've had a number of clients we've done short animations for they come back two years later Hey, we've changed this process. No, no problem. Yes. You you can't do that with video, and it ages so so quickly. You right. know, we tell a lot of our clients in five years, you're going to be embarrassed by the haircuts, the glasses, the clothes. You know, all that stuff is yeah. is is not going to work. Whereas with this, it's much cheaper and much 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 easier to change. So that that's why we end up doing a lot of it. But we've we've started working with a, a guy, and it's it's a guy I've known for a long time. He's uh, I don't know. He's done two or three hundred film and television shows, um, but to bring in that entertainment storytelling perspective, rather than yes, we got it technically right, okay, but 
is it compelling? Right. And this is a guy who understands how color, look, feel, sound, touch, all of those things come together to make something compelling and memorable. And, uh, well, and there's something to be learned from Hollywood there. You had a good area that we're really looking to kind of exploit is, you know, storytelling. Right. You know, none of this death by PowerPoint in a classroom anymore. Right. Sit there and tell a compelling story. So we're doing that. One of the things we've learned, and, you know, I've been burned on in the past, we're trying to, you know, we're using stock art, stock footage. We're using, you know, nondescript uh, avatars and animations. You know, I've had too many programs where, it's the best program you develop, and then you find out you no know, sooner you get ready to publish it, that person left the company, and now they're the spokesperson for retention, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, oops. So, yeah. yeah. So you know, we we try to leverage using you know uh, stock actors. You know, I in the past, like you know, companies like, oh, let's do a casting call and use our own people. Mm. That has burned me so many times. I yeah. try not, maybe for the audio piece, but not for any on screens. Yeah. No, I agree. That uh, that changes too quickly, and that can break bad on you fast. Well, and it's easier, too, as you probably know, with animation. I can show the diversity and inclusion factors. Absolutely. much easier than trying to find, you know, somebody that fits in every bucket. Right, right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of advantages to it. Well, yeah. Jerry, I don't want to take too much of your time today, but I this is, this is just fascinating. I, I appreciate you sharing your insights and 30-plus years of experience from government to Navy to retail to manufacturing and and now to a publicly traded utility company. That's a that's a fascinating career. Thank you. As my best friend, I've known since I was three years old. Says I can't keep a job. Well, it's just you probably find a lot of shiny things interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I always I always give him grief. Like, but all my jobs have been in the same industry. Right. Where- right. Whereas he's been with the same company 30 years and has changed his actual job four different times. Yeah, that's not typical anymore. No, no. No, I'm enjoying myself here and, you know, enjoying working with you guys. This is really, I mean, we are cutting edge. And, you know, as you may or may not know, you know, we won the ATD Best Award right. last year. We were ninth in the world. T- tell us a little bit about that because, our, again, our, our audience is 30,000 strong and all over the world. So no, tell us so- a bit about that. So, you know, ever since I've been in this field, I've been a big proponent of professional organizations. You know, the International Society for Performance and Improvement is one, and then the Association for Talent Development, which used to be the yeah, uh, ASPD now. Society. Yeah, it yeah. used to be the American Society for Training and Development. So we are a big supporter of that. We're actually a member of their forum. I sit on their government policy board. Uh, so they have, uh, it was 2003, they instituted the ATD Best Award. So it's a very rigorous criterion-based award for companies that have talent development functions. Um, and uh, we applied last year for the first time. When I joined this organization, I knew we were at that caliber, but we had we wanted to benchmark ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I came in. Uh, I wasn't prepared to do it my first year just because I didn't know the organization and the story well enough. But last year, we submitted our application for that award out of 155 submissions across the world, we were chosen, and at the award ceremony in Washington D.C. in October, we ranked ninth out of the world. So that's fantastic. We have a. It's actually odd that you, you know, timing-wise, I'm actually working on this year's application, which is going in this week for this year's award. Yeah. So, so is there? Is, is this like the? Is this like the Grammys? I mean, are you uh, actually exactly. called up exactly. and you give a little speech and stuff? 
Exactly. Cool. Uh, so, so the way the process is, you have about two months to fill out this application, and you know, knowing that you have a doctor, you know, the application is worse than a PhD thesis. Oh boy. It's about thirty-five questions, anywhere from five hundred to fifteen hundred words per question. Oh my. Uh, graphs and charts. It's got to tie to business. You have to have quotes from your CEO. I mean, it's it's a if you want to see what it is, go to the ATD website and download the application. Just read through it, and you'll see how complex it is. Wow. Um, so we submitted by the end of this month. They uh, blind judge it, and like I said, they, you know, not everybody will even be in on the award. I mean, you know, if you don't have enough demonstration that you're a, a, a best in class, you won't get selected. Mm-hmm. We will find out sometime towards the end of June if we made it in for this year's batch. So kind of like, you know, are you even nominated? Right. And then, then you go to Washington in October, and those that are there can also present how they got there. And then that evening there's an award ceremony, and the CEO of ATD gets up and he starts at whatever the number, you know, and there's no given number. One year could be 20, one year could be 50, just okay. depending on the submission. So it's a true countdown. It's a true countdown. So we were sitting, my boss and I were there, and we were sitting there, and all of a sudden he goes, okay, now we're under the top ten. We looked at each other going, we've made it in the top ten our first year. So it, it is like the Academy Award. That's cool. So we're hoping to better ourselves this year and see where we go from it. It's very prestigious. You know, and for the, you know, for the listeners, if you, I mean, Consumers Energy was the only utility and the only Michigan-based business to even win it last year. So. Wow. That's pretty. That is <laughs> not, only being, not only being ninth in the world, but those two. You know, we're we're pretty proud about that. Yep, that's fantastic. And just you know, to close on it. I mean, that was our way of telling the business. You know, it's not just us telling our business we're good. This is our peers across the world telling us we're doing things right. Right, right. That's that's, that's validation. That. Yeah, no, that's good validation, and it's good for your team to know that too. Oh yeah, that they're doing great work. Well, fantastic. Jerry, thank you again for your time and for your expertise and sharing your story. That's just uh, our listeners very much appreciate the opportunity, and and so do I, to, to hear from wonderful people like you. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Great Mind Series podcast with me, your host, Dr. Jerry Zanstra. Please make sure to subscribe to our show as well as share the word with your coworkers and friends. Again, the Great Mind Series podcast is brought to you by Innoversity, the learning expert.